Welcome back to Tradewinds. I'm Robin van Perenbroek, your host. And my guest today is Beth Rooney, who is the Port Department Director at the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. So Beth, good to see you again. Good to see you. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Of course. Welcome to the show. So I, I always like to, to start asking people to, to say a few words about themselves. And what I would like to ask you and start with is like, I mean, just tell us a little more about this incredible journey that you had at the Port Authority. I, I, I looked up some uh, your bio, of course, and it's, it seems that you started at the Port Authority in 1993. So I'm very curious to, to hear that amazing story on how you, you become the director of the port in New York and New Jersey. Well, thanks for asking. And it really is and has been an incredible journey. Really never in my wildest dreams, certainly when I was young, did I imagine that I would ever be in this industry, you know, let alone in such a job of, of great responsibility in what by far is the greatest port in the United States. So, you know, I, I in high school, you know, thought that I was uh, going to go to an all-women's Catholic college to study accounting. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, at the very last minute, decided to go to a practically all-men's uh, paramilitary uh, college. Uh, and that was the State University of New York Maritime College in the Bronx. And, you know, I was, when we started, one of uh, 28 women, less than 10% of my class. And I believe we only graduated uh, with eight women in, in 1991. And, you know, at the Maritime College, you are not only getting a, a degree in, either in marine transportation or oceanography or any number of hearing type programs, but you're also earning a license from the United States Coast Guard as either a third mate or a third engineer. And by the time you're done with college, you know, you have the credentials, God willing, to help navigate or control the power plant to move ships around the world. And during that time, you have the opportunity to sail on the school's training ship each summer. And if you're lucky enough to go out as a cadet observer on commercial ships. So I had the opportunity to do all of that. And the thought that I was going to sail professionally for a long, long time, I had dreams of becoming a, a captain and being in command of a ship. And instead, now I'm, I'm in command of a port. So I, I wound up not being able to sail on my license because of my eyesight. And I graduated, when I graduated from Maritime College, I became a, a, a port agent, a, a port captain, vessel agent, worked in a number of ports around the United States, mostly on the U.S. East Coast, being a representative of either the ship owner or the cargo owner. And then after doing that for a couple of years, joined the Port Authority at entry-level operations job at our facilities in, in Port Newark and Elizabeth. And then lucky for me, I had amazing mentors in the Port Authority who saw far more in me than I saw in myself. And they uh, continue to provide opportunities for me and open doors for me and doors that I had no desire to walk through, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I wound up doing a wide, wide variety of things in the Port Authority after operations, including property management, leasing, 
intermodal development. I, I bought, bought barges and cranes and did procurement and I did technology to make the port more efficient and more productive. And then 9-11 happens. And I was not in the Trade Center that day. I was in Washington, D.C., but I came back the morning after, walked into the port, which had been shut down. I got a hug and a kiss from the port director at the time, and he said, you're in charge of security. You know, rather overwhelming moment, particularly since I had no security background or knowledge or training. But you knew to put something up. Yeah, yeah. Certainly nothing I signed up for, but... I spent another 14 years then doing maritime security and emergency management and set up what are now world-renowned award-winning programs that, you know, are, are just very, very widely recognized. And then, you know, while I was doing that, the port experienced what was the worst congestion in our history, believe it or not, even worse than what we're experiencing right now. And the director, you know, suggested to me just in a casual conversation what he thought we needed to do to try to wrap our arms around the problems we were experiencing at the time. And I didn't really think that it was the best idea. And I told him as much and he asked me what I would do differently. And I'm like, I really don't know, (laughs) but let me think about it. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it over the weekend and prepared a white paper. And by the end of the following week, we were implementing what was the Port Performance Task Force, which is, is to date. Is that from the Council yeah. of Port Performance that you were architect? Correct. Yep. Yep. So the Port Performance Task Force was a, a six-month study. And then we, we after the six-month study, we turned it into the Council on Port Performance. And, and from there, I... I, I established a new job for myself and became the assistant director for strategy and innovation and was responsible for port performance and goods movement and our environmental program, legislative and regulatory affairs. Did that for several years, had the opportunity to become deputy director number two in the port, and then just recently on May 2nd to to become the director. So it has been just a really, really rewarding and challenging and exciting career. I'm very humbled to be able to be the director of the Port of New York and New Jersey. And I'm looking forward to all of the challenges, you know, that come along with it. And uh, we've got our work cut out for us, but most importantly, we've got an incredible team of folks, both internal to the Port Authority and within the larger Port of New York and New Jersey that are working to ensure that the port is the premier gateway in the United States. So I, I'm excited and- Yeah, it's, 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 an, it's an amazing, I really mean this, an amazing journey. When we last met in, in April of this year, I think you, you were just received news about your, your appointment and you were speaking about your work at the port at the, the, the World Trade Week event here in New York. And I was glued to many of the things that, that you were talking about because people see ports from a distance, of course, and maybe sometimes a cruise terminal or they fly over a port. But I think it's just fascinating. There's, there's a million things that are happening all at the same time, right, at, at, at a port. And I remember you were explaining, talking about some anecdotes of how to make ports more efficient and, and some, some seemingly small, small issues that actually have a big impact on, on the efficiency of a port. Are there some of those examples because I'd like to for you to tell a little bit talk a little bit more about sort of what is it like to run a port of the size of, of New York and New Jersey it is just it's just massive right it just it's everything and then on top of that 
consumers are experiencing sort of issues in the supply chain and, and we, we read about this every day, but what, what is then looking at those very practical issues that you're encountering at the port level, how does it tie into the, the, the bigger sort of supply chain challenges that we're seeing today? So the good news, if there is any for me, is that the Port Authority is a landlord. So in, in New York and New Jersey, there are there are other port authorities and other ports that are operating ports. So in our case, you know, some might say our job is a little easier and some might say it's a little more complicated. But in our case, we're not directly involved in the movement of cargo. And as a result, we have absolutely no control over the movement of cargo. And yet it is in our best interest to ensure that the cargo moves through our facilities in an efficient, reliable, sustainable, safe, secure method. But I don't have any control over any of it. So, you know, it's, it's, so, so that comes with its own, with its own challenges, but, but what we are first and foremost, as the Port Authority, you can think of your local town, you know, so our general manager of the facilities is the mayor and, you know, they've got police department that supports them and they've got, you know, the equivalent of a public works department and the equivalent of the buildings department and you know, the equivalent of the highways department, right? So, mm-hmm. so we're, we're operating or maintaining the infrastructure of the facilities at, that serve the movement of the cargo. So we work with our partners on the infrastructure that supports the port. And then our tenants, our direct customers that we have leases with, they actually operate the facilities that move the cargo and they in turn, so our container terminal operators, for example, they're the ones who have an agreement with the ocean carrier, the owner of the vessel, and the owner of the vessel has the agreement with the owners of the cargo that are moving their goods in in individual containers or in the case of automobiles with with individual units of automobiles or cruise passengers, whatever the case might be. So the job is challenged because we have no official contractual relationships with any of the partners in the supply chain, with the exception of the entity that we hold a lease with. And yet we need to have all of the partners in the supply chain kind of rowing in the same direction in order to provide for that fluidity and and efficiency. So relationships become extremely important. So you Um, are are the mayor of the port. That's what it is. Yeah, it it is. It is. And, you know, and and there's no rocket science to, you know, what we're talking about, but you know, since the beginning of the pandemic, I've been talking about the three C's, you know, coordination, collaboration, and, and communication. And they have been vital, absolutely vital to being able to manage through a crisis and, and a crisis that the port and the port was sitting in the middle of the epicenter of, of the pandemic in the early days when everyone else was sheltering in place and and going home. Port workers, longshoremen and women, truck drivers, 
the terminal operators and all the various service providers that help move the cargo, just like firefighters, law enforcement, nurses, doctors, we're going to work and and, and not giving, yeah, not giving any consideration to it, right? Because the port as a vital lifeline was critical to ensuring that many of the medical supplies, right? Many of the personal protection equipment that needed to get to the front lines was moving through our port facilities. Yeah, of course. And so, of course, and and coming back to your three C's, like on all that, uh, coordination, communication, like how do you, what's the, what's, what's the secret sauce here that you've applied, which obviously you were successful in, 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 uh, in doing this because you can't enforce uh, you, that, that coordination. You can't force your, your, your tenants, your terminal leasing operators to, to do certain things, I, I would think. So how, how do you get to get everybody to move in the same direction and get everybody's ear and, and how do you coordinate all those different actors? So if I go back to when we started you know, the Council on Port Performance, you know, it it was not easy. You are talking about entities that are fierce competitors with each other. We've got six different terminal operators. You know, there's 3,000 different trucking companies. And, you know, I, I could go on, right? There's just a lot of partners that are in fierce competition with each other. And there are entities in the supply chain that have no business relationship with each other but are dramatically affected by the action or inaction of an entity that they don't have a relationship with. Right. So, so at the beginning of these conversations, it was about education and breaking down the walls to the silos. And it, it took months and months and months of conversations where in the past, an entity or a sector in the supply chain were experts in that sector of the supply chain and didn't know too much about what happened upstream or downstream from that node, and they didn't really care. That, that's, and, that's, that's amazing. You would, you would think that they're very well tuned into what happens upstream, downstream, right? But you're saying that was not the case. Right. Because, I mean, most businesses, right, are myopic and, you know, they look at this is what I'm responsible for. I'm going to focus on what I'm responsible for and I'm going to do it, you know, to the best of our ability. And we're going to provide the best whatever it is that we can. And they don't necessarily think about if I turn this valve and I change things a little bit within my purview how does what I change to optimize my part of the business have an effect on somebody else? So, so the early parts of those conversations were about breaking down those walls and allowing folks visibility into how the other sectors of the supply chain work and what makes them tick. And an understanding, and this was the key, is that we all are working for the good of the port of New York and New Jersey, because if one terminal loses a large customer, then it's not just for that terminal to lose the customer. It's for the truckers that serviced that customer. Yeah. It's for the chassis providers that provided the wheels to that customer 
it's for the port authority. It's mm -hmm. for the warehouses that would service that cargo, right? It trickles so, down all the way, yeah. Exactly. So, so it was it it it, and I believe me, it is not perfect, you know. And and we still have our challenges, but recognizing that what we do has an impact on the larger gateway was very important to get folks to collaborate and communicate and coordinate with each other. So I'll take you back to just the very beginning of the pandemic. And when things were shut down and everybody was sheltering in place, conventions and hotels and conferences are all closed, right? Ports are open, terminals are continuing to handle and receive cargo. And the Council on Port Performance is getting together and we're talking and we're trying to project what's going to happen. And we collectively identify that if all the retail stores are closed and people aren't buying, then the cargo that is already on the water is going to pile up. Mm -hmm. The warehouses are going to get full and there's going to be no place left to bring the containers. And it's going to back up into the terminals. And when it backs up into the terminals, it backs up onto the waters. So, so what did we do? Collectively, we went out and we pulled our resources and we scoured the region to identify every square inch of open area, land, or warehouse space that people had available. And we made an inventory. And I think we had over 90 individual parcels of space that were available. 90, 90 parcels. 90, nine zero, nine zero. And then, and then as things began to back up and folks would reach out to our business development or industry relations staff, and they said, hey, my warehouse is out of space. I need more room. Do you have any or do you know of any? Then we made marriages between those who had and those who needed. And it's all of all of that was designed around making sure that the port of New York and New Jersey remained fluid. And throughout the first almost two solid years, the port of New York and New Jersey was fluid in spite of an increase in cargo the first year of 10% in 2020 and 18 and a half percent in 2021 mm -hmm. and almost 11% year to date in, in 2022. So right now we are handling 30% more cargo than we were prior to the pandemic. That's a huge number, a huge increase. And do you, do you also face some of the issues of finding and especially retaining workers in, in, at the ports? Because that's that's something that they come across all over. It's from truck drivers to to warehouse handlers and what have you. How, how do you how do you manage a thirty percent growth with with what kind of staffing? That has been a challenge, and it has certainly contributed to some of the problems that we've had. So if you if you go again, go back to the beginning, you know, what we saw was, you know, a precipitous drop off in the amount of cargo, tunes of 30, 40% drop offs in the early days and months of, of the pandemic. And at that time, warehouses, for example, were laying off workers. There wasn't enough cargo to, to keep them busy. And then 
we saw a a very rapid bullwhip recovery starting in July, August of, of 2020 that just kept on growing and has continued to grow at rates, you know, beyond those that we've ever imagined. So when we started that that fast recovery, folks were still home. They were they were collecting unemployment and they were collecting their you know related incentives and and as a result you know things were not moving as quickly as they they needed to move so definitely the workforce has been a challenge i think just as you see what's going on nationally where you know the unemployment levels have have dropped off you know quite a bit many of those workers you know have come back to work we never had a problem in terms of the waterfront workers mm-hmm. ila men and women were on the job every single day and just did an extraordinary job keeping the port open and keeping the cargo moving. We also saw during the height of the pandemic, we also saw an increase in the numbers of truck drivers. Not staggering numbers, but we didn't lose total overall numbers the way that that some other people have. But but the challenge, Robin, is a 30% increase since 2019 in cargo volume, we're handling the activity that we did not project to handle until 2026 or 2027. And thankfully, at our port facilities, we had the capacity to handle that mm-hmm. increase in activity. But the rest of the supply chain has not. Has not. Has not. And, right. And the rest of the supply chain has not had the time, the warning. To make the investment in it and then and and when do you make the investment and if you talk to any of the chassis providers for example you know they want to make the investment but there's raw material shortages and there are supply chain challenges so they can't make the investment as quick as they would like to and then you know, do you build the church for Easter Sunday and Christmas or, you know, do you build the church for, for your regular Sunday attendance? So each sector of the supply chain needs, has needed to decide in all of this, you know, is this volume going to stay as it, high as it's right now? And yeah, that, that, exactly. That would be my, my question, that 30%, how sustainable is that uh, because I was recently also speaking with some people in the distribution in, in, in mainly in cold storage and, and in shipping food produce. And they said, well, any given day, we have 10 truck drivers just not showing up. And then I have 10 containers with, you know, produce that can be shipped. And it's not like next day, we'll just have 10 more drivers come in and ship it out. So the backlog creates an issue. Then they don't have enough mechanics to fix the trucks. And the, it's just, you know, people, the turnover rate is a hundred percent in, in the warehouse. People don't, people stay in the job for for three weeks on, on, on average sometimes. So I can only yeah, imagine if you had choices today, right? Yeah, people they have to, today that yeah. they didn't have. Yeah, it seems like people just that they are not willing to take the jobs for the money that's being offered. And then to your point, if you didn't have to invest in, and build that church for for are you are you making those big capital investments while you're basically putting out fires every day, 24 seven with, with with those type of challenges and also not knowing is this type of craziness, so to speak, is, is this sustainable, All right? Is this, are things going to really calm down as we're going into a more sort of recessionary environment and we'll see what inflation will do and the impact on, cons- on consumer behavior and, and what have you. So 
how sustainable is this, this situation of today? Will it just all melt down, so to speak, and everybody will come back to their senses? Or is this, is this a new normal that there's just not enough people? I believe Forbes made a publication saying that the, the critical workers in the, the logistics industry the, 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 is going to be short over 2 million jobs by 2030, which is, which is a staggering number. Like you, you, you don't just fill that gap. I, I believe it's like over 150,000 just for truck drivers. So where do you get the, and this is not just people hopping a truck. This is also hard labor, right? It's hard work, loading, unloading and, and pay is already at, at, you know, at, at, at elevated levels. So where, how do you fill, you know, where do you get the people then to, to take on those jobs and, and train people so they're actually skilled for the jobs that are, that are needed? Well, and, and we've been, you know, you, you, you talk about the workforce issues and, and we've been focused on workforce and workforce development as a component of the Council on Port Performance for the last four or five years. And we were doing it based on what we anticipated was the retiring Right of of the of the workforce right. and 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 some growth. So you know we've been working with high schools with community colleges because who grows up right? <laughs> and and chooses to any longer right? Who grows <laughs> up and chooses to be a, you know a truck driver? Right. You, you, you wanted to be an accountant and look what happened. Right, right, exactly. So, so where, do, so, so most of the people in the industry, the vast majority of the people in the industry didn't grow up, you know, no. wanting to do this or even go to school for it. You know, they, they went to school to, you know, you know, study management or, op, or operations or engineering, and they just stumbled upon the, you know, the industry. So we feel that, and, and the council of port performance feels that you know, we needed to do more and do better to educate folks about the industry and to begin to interest young people into the wide variety of jobs and careers, some requiring a college education, but many not. So, so we have a number of programs with local high schools where we've helped develop curriculum and provide mentoring programs and summer internship programs and port tours and, you know, opportunities to, you know, come to the facilities virtually, you know, during the pandemic. But, but we provided, you know, classroom instruction virtually and the teachers loved it, right? Because, you know, they were, they were looking for all the help they could get, you know, with, with content sometimes. And then, and then we're educating the public, you know, through community centers, one-stop center, you know, Elks clubs or Knights of Columbus, whatever, you know, whatever it is, you know, educating folks about here's the port, here's what yeah. happens, here's how important it is to you. And it is that thing that everybody took advantage of until they didn't know where their next roll of toilet paper was going to come from. <laughs> exactly, um, exactly. And, and then the third part of our workforce development program is focused on job fairs and, and career, you know, fairs. So like job, job fairs, like, you know, connecting, you know, the unemployed or underemployed with opportunities to, to meet with employers and also providing opportunities for folks to just become aware of a number of the different types of, of jobs, right? You can drive a truck, you can be an engineer, you know, on a train, you can, you know, be sorting, you know, cargo, pick and pack operation at, at Amazon, 
you know, or you can, you know, be a crane operator, you know, unloading the ships, or you could be the ship captain as I wanted to be, or the tugboat captain, right? There's just so yeah, many yeah. options. And it's, 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 it's its whole own ecosystem. And thank you. And before wrapping up, Beth, I always like to end with a final sort of a question on the sea. Is there any anecdotes that you can share? Something you encountered over the years at the port, a situation or something where you thought, oh my God, never thought ever come across this type of a situation that you had to resolve or you came across like something anecdotal. I'm sure you have a phone book full of them. I, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's every day, you know, it, I mean, it, it really is. Okay. What happened, I, what happened today? What happened today? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I have done a lot of, you know, reflecting, you know, back on, you know, my almost 29 years with the Port Authority and, you know, 30 something in the industry. And, you know, it really is something different every day. And I have had the opportunity to, you know, be a part of, you know, the, the, best of times and the worst of times in the industry. You know, I, I can, I can remember, and I was involved in planning the event for the arrival of the Regina Maersk, a 64,000 TEU vessel that was in the early nineties was supposed to be the largest vessel ever to call the port of New York and New Jersey and, and the United States. And by the time we were done deepening the channels to 50 feet, we were handling ships that were already 10,000. I, I planned the event, you know, associated with the completion of the raising of the Bayonne Bridge that allows, you know, ships over 18,000 TEUs to come into the harbor. I've been there when ships have been arrested and crew members have not been taken care of by the owners of the vessels for weeks or months at a time. You know, I've been part of bringing derelict facilities, you know, back online to bring manufacturing back to New Jersey for wallboard and gypsum board, for example. I mean, I, I, I could go on and on and on about the numbers of things that I've been able to do. Just testifying before Congress, you know, I, I, I don't think I, you know, in the days after 9-11, you know, I, I was, you know, 30 years old and, you know, a, a rookie. And I was testifying before Congress about national security issues. You know, like, what an awesome responsibility and, and just a privilege to be able to do something like that. Yeah. I, I see a book in the works, Beth. No. Definitely not. Unless Amanda's <laughs> going to write it for me. I need somebody to write it for me. I'm sure Amanda is taking, is taking notes every day. <laughs> well, good. Well, Beth Rooney, Port Director of the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. Thank you so much for being on the show. Very much appreciate it. And we keep counting on you for the fluid flow of logistics. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Robin. Great talking to you. If you have any ideas for future episodes, know someone who would be an inspiring guest or just want to stay apprised of our show, please make sure to connect with our team via email at podcast at WTCA.org. Be sure to head over to podcast.wtca.org and subscribe to the show. We will see you soon. <laughs>